In the book of John chapter 10, Jesus said in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it. How? More abundantly. That's our word. Somebody say, that's my word. That word is what's setting the tone for us this year. And I, you can tell from some of these reports that Sarah's ministering to us. Um, I can attest to it. This is working in our lives. Life more abundantly is working in our home, in the Pearson's house, I think more than it ever has before. And I know it's because not only did the Lord give us this word, but we believed it. We just took it. He said it and we said, okay. Man, there's a lot of power in that. Okay. Whatever you want, we're with you because we know you're with us. You're for us. And that, that man named Abraham that the Bible talks so much about. And the Bible says that it was accounted unto him for righteousness and his whole life and their whole marriage and their family is just such a testimony of the faithfulness of God, but it's a testimony of their own faith. Their own faith. Like Sarah said earlier, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Didn't consider his own body now dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He just kept, he just kept growing in faith and growing in faith and growing in faith. But if you go back and look at his life story through the book of Genesis, this great man of faith and why he's, he's in the New Testament, he's in Hebrews 11 and he's in Romans 4. You go back and look at it and it's so simple. Every time God said, do something, you know what he said? Okay. Okay. No matter how strange it might've seemed to be, no matter how hard it would have been on his own heart and soul. And you know, he was willing to do some pretty intense things, but God said it and he said, okay. And this is why God, the scripture tells us, chose him because he'd do it and he would teach his kids how to do it. And there was a day that God showed up in his life and the first introduction that we have to this man, God said, leave your father's house. Now folks, the man was 70 years old. It was time. It was time. Come on, Abe, launch out, buddy. Spread those wings. But the Lord said, leave your father's house and go to a place that I will show you. That means I'm not showing you now. I'm going to show you in a little bit. And there are so many people, God said, step out and they go, okay, where? Huh? Where, where am I going? I'll take that step when you tell me where we're going. And God's like, that's not how it works. You step and then I'll tell you where. That's why this man's in the book because he took that step. And God, one thing after another, showed up in his life one day and said, I'm changing your name. I don't know what he was. 80, 90 years old at that point. That's a long time to live with a name. And then all of a sudden we're changing it, right? I'm changing your name. You've been Abram. Now you're Abraham, which is a fascinating study just in itself. God put his name inside Abram's name and he covenanted himself to him. It's, it's a powerful thing, but just on the natural surface level of it, name change, Name, oh, Abram could have been like, God, are you serious? Maybe we could just keep that between me and you. Because what are people going to say when I go tell them I changed my name? You changed your name? Yeah, I changed my name. Well, what is it? Abraham. Ham. You put ham in your name. Well, why? 
Uh, God told me to. Oh, okay. Sure. You know, we don't stop and think about this, but he had family. He had servants. I mean, he lived in a natural world just like you and I do. I don't know what the government and the procedures were at that time. I know how difficult it is to get a name changed on a legal document now. I don't know if he had to go through all that or not, but hopefully for his sake, he didn't. But God said, change your name. And he said, what? Okay. 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 And then he said, uh, oh yeah, and your wife, Sarai, I'm changing her name too. Sarah. Let me think about it. When the scripture said God told him to do this, Every time God told him to do something, the scripture tells us on that day, that same day. See, he's not like a lot of you and, 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 and us who are thinking, well, Lord, let, let me think on that a little bit. Let me pray about that. Well, God's been dealing with me now for a few years. Why's he got to deal with you for that long? If he says something, what does faith say? Okay. Okay. I mean, can you imagine that staff meeting that morning when he's got his family there? And by this time, Isaac's born. No, I think it was Ishmael. Yeah, Ishmael was born and I won't get into the whole story of that. Uh, but he's got all these servants. He's a wealthy man, a lot of servants in his house. And he stands up and he goes over everything they need to do that day. And oh, we need to get that fence fixed over there on the east pasture. We've got some cattle getting out. And I need some of you guys to take care of the barn, get it fixed again. And um, I think that's about it. Well, a couple of more things here. No, I'm changing my name. Uh, yet God talked to me last night. And now y'all call me Abraham. Uh-huh. Yeah, God said so. Okay. Oh, and Sarah, where are you, sweetheart? There you are. Love you, baby. Sarah. That's you now, Sarah. And uh, that looks to be about it. Oh, wait a second. One more thing. I need to see all the men. Uh, circumcisions will begin <laughs> right after staff meeting. If I could get you to meet me in the shed. Yeah, because that was one thing God told him to do too. And you got those two guys hanging out in the back, those two entry-level staff guys, circum what now? What was... And one goes, man, I knew I should have called in sick today. <laughs> but no matter what God said to him, what did he say? Okay. Okay. And now he's got this 13-year-old son, Ishmael. 13 years old and his dad's in his what? Middle 90s. If you're a 13 year old and your dad's that old, you're thinking, I can run faster than you old man. <laughs> but his whole family, he trained his family to say what? Yes. Okay. You're God and you're my God. And that, that pattern in his life of yielding to the plan of God and making changes when God said make changes and do things no matter how crazy or how intense or how foreign it sounded, led him all the way up to after the time where Isaac was born. Here's the son of promise, the one he's been believing for. And God speaks to him and says, offer your son, your only son as a sacrifice to me. Now, if there was anything that Abraham was going to be hesitant on and stumble on and get hung up on, it would have been that. But the Bible says early the next morning, he rose up and he saddled the donkey and he took Isaac with him and he took servants with him and they headed towards the mountain. And as they were on their way, Isaac said to him, daddy, I see the wood, but I don't see the lamb. 
I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And you know, as well as I do what happened, he got up to that mountain and it was just him and Isaac. And he began to put Isaac on that altar and tie him to that altar of wood. And here again, here you've got a a young man, but the Bible records no fear and no fight. Why? Daddy's taught us. We believe God. And we look forward to the New Testament that tells us that Abraham had already received Isaac raised from the dead. He knew this was the promise. He knew this was the son. And he raised that knife to take the life of the promise. And the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, don't do it. And you know the whole conversation he said he had with him. He said, the Lord sees and he knows. And and if you don't have the right perspective of it, you would look at that and say, man, what kind of God would ask somebody to do that? What kind of God? You say this is a God of love that doesn't sound like love. No, no, no. You don't get it. He's a covenant God. And what he did was make covenant with this man. And when his covenant partner was willing to offer his own son. Now God was required by the com- by the by covenant to be willing to do no less. He needed entrance. I've got to have covenant right to offer my son. So I need my covenant man to do it for me, be willing to do it for me so that I can demonstrate my willingness to do it for him. All this was covenant. This was, this was history changing and, and eternity shaping that moment right there. How did he get to that moment? He said, okay, okay, okay. At every moment that led up to that, that's faith. Glory to God. That's faith. And he loves it. God loves it. He loves it. And without it, there is no pleasing him. And it's so simple, isn't it? When he says, take a step, you say, okay. When he says, make this change, you say, okay. Now there's a lot of stuff that he asked of Abram, Abraham, that he'll never ask of you. He'll never ask of me because Jesus was and is that one and only sacrifice. He'll never ask you to do that. There, there are things, blood's already been shed. You don't got to shed anymore. You, gotta, you have to put faith in the blood that has been shed. Thank you, Lord. All that to say, God's given us a word. This word that we can live and access this life more abundantly. And as far as we're concerned in our own home, this isn't something we're just talking about on a Sunday morning. This is something we're believing. This is something we're laying hold of. I can't tell you how many times just this week we've come into agreement with each other, believe in God for life more abundantly. When something comes up, a need arises, a pain comes, whatever it is, we say, no, no, no. Life more abundantly can take care of that. That's easy for life. And we've been pressing into it. And I encourage you, if you haven't been already, do it now. Start today. Claim this word as your own and let it lay foundation for every step you take, every step, every step, every step. And you've heard us say it before, but Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman, who lived and ministered so many years ago, she wrote in her book that God delights in his children stepping out over the aching void with nothing beneath their feet but the word of God. He delights in that. And if you've got nothing else under your feet, you've got a word that says this is the beginning of life more abundantly. Amen?
Thank you, Lord. Now, see, none of that was in here. He's already talking. In John chapter 6, turn back there and look at this. Verse 63, Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. We're talking about life more abundantly. And if Jesus said, I came that you'd have it, your next question should be, great, where do I get it? How do I get a hold of it? And you would only ask that and you'd only pursue that if you recognized, I don't yet have it. In other words, there's got to be more to this life than just a heart beating in my chest. There's got to be more to living life and experiencing life. And if there's something on the inside of you that's telling you all the time, there's got to be more, there's got to be more, there's got to be more. Do you want to know why it's telling you that? Because there's more. There's more available to us. And Jesus said, I came that you'd have it. And it's like we talked already today. He didn't come to force anything on you. I came that you might, that you may have it. I'm giving you opportunity. I can give you access to it, but I can't force it on you. I can't make you believe it. I can't make you receive it. I can't make you take it. I can create the opportunity. I can put it out in front of you, but you have to choose life. Isn't that what God spoke through Moses to the children of Israel? I set before you this day, blessing, cursing, life, death, and let me paraphrase here. I'm begging you, choose life. Choose life. But he didn't make them choose it. He didn't force it on them and he's not forcing it on us. So our question is, okay, Jesus, if you came to give it to us, then you lead us, you show us where do we go to get it? How do we start living more of it? And that's what this verse is about. John 6, 63. It is the spirit. Somebody say the spirit, spirit. who gives life. Now, uh, the King James says it's the spirit who quickens, quickens, quickens. You remember we read that last week in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 119, verse after verse after verse. He quickens me according to his word. You quicken me according to your testimonies. You quicken me. The new King James says you revive me. It just means bring back to life. That's what this word means. Quicken to come alive, Right. And Jesus said, it's the spirit who quickens. It's the spirit who gives life or brings back to life. Notice this next part though. The flesh profits how much? Nothing. nothing. The spirit quickens. The flesh does nothing. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, or perhaps throughout it, but, but specifically in the days leading up to the cross and his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, he begins to talk to his disciples about the spirit, the spirit. And you could tell they really couldn't wrap their heads around it. And that's understandable because he's been with them in the flesh and now he's telling them it's better for you if I go away. Can you imagine living every day with Jesus and seeing the things that, that nobody's ever seen before and experiencing things that have changed your life and now he's telling you it's better for you if he goes away? I mean, try, try wrapping your head around that if you're one of the 12. You and I'd be standing there going, uh, you've been right about a lot, but you're wrong about this. It's not better without you. I remember without you. That's 
and it was not better. This is better. And you could tell they're having a hard time understanding it. He said, no, listen, it's better for you if I go. Why? If I don't go, the helper doesn't come. The spirit doesn't come. But if I do go, I'll send him to you. But even then you could tell they were so grieved. And that's why he said, man, there's so much more I want to tell you, but I can't tell you now because, because your heart's heavy. You're grieved, which I look back on that going, thanks a lot, guys. We could have had more red words, but you couldn't hear it. Let's not judge them, but I mean, come on, let's be honest. But thank God that's when Jesus said, but when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all of it. In other words, he's going to continue the conversation that you and I are having right now. That's what the spirit of God was sent to do. Not to speak of his own, Jesus said, but to take what he said and give it to you. Do you know that the spirit of God in you is there to continue the conversation that Jesus started in the pages of scripture? to guide you and I into all the truth. And he begins to introduce the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why it takes the Amplified Bible, all these words to try to just to, to wrap around the concept that Jesus was communicating who this spirit is and what he would do for you. The Amplified calls him not just the helper, but the advocate and the standby and the intercessor. All these different things that he wants to do and wants to be in you. And in me, but Jesus said, it all starts right here. It's the spirit that quickens. It's the spirit that gives life. And he said, the flesh profits nothing. Now, remember this came out of an encounter that he had with thousands of people. John chapter six that we're reading right now, it's a long chapter because a lot of things happen in that chapter. It started with him miraculously feeding 5,000 men and women and children. And these people got so full. The Bible says they ate till they were full. They were satisfied and there was plenty left over. And the next day, that same group of people, we've talked about it already, came tracking him down. They said, where'd you go? We've been looking for you. And Jesus said, you're not looking for me. You're looking for the sign. You're looking for the food. And he said, don't seek the food that perishes, but seek what's eternal is what he was saying. And you could tell they weren't getting it. They weren't hearing it. They said, uh, basically, well, if you're not going to do the thing with the food, teach us how to do it. How do we work the works of God? What do they want to do? Feed the flesh. Living with flesh on the mind. Living motivated by meeting the need of the flesh all the time. The flesh is the prominent, if not the only voice they're hearing. The flesh, the flesh, the flesh. I need more of that food. And Jesus obviously has no qualms whatsoever about providing things in the natural. It was his idea to feed them to begin with. They didn't even come looking for a meal. He said, how are we going to feed these people? Where are we going to go buy food for them? It was his idea to feed them. But once they had that natural need met, that's all they could see was a, a way to get that natural need met, to feed the flesh. And that's why I said, don't seek the food that perishes. And they said, well, teach us to do the works of God. In other words, if you're not going to do it, show us how to do it. 
We want to do that thing with the Trisket that you did. And it just keeps growing. How do you do that thing with the fish stick? I mean, I want some more of that. That was good fish. That's the best fish I ever had. And Jesus said, your work is to believe. That's your job. And they weren't hearing that either. And they said, well, why don't you give us a sign so that we may believe? And then they said, Moses gave bread from heaven. What are they doing? Trying to feed the flesh. They're trying to trick Jesus into doing that thing with the fish and the bread again. Give us a sign that we may believe. And that's when Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. That Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. I'm bread from heaven. And he began to talk and to explain some things that quite honestly, they didn't understand. He talked to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they said, what? We don't understand that. That's a hard saying is what the scripture said. How can anybody hear that? And the Bible says they turned and they went back and they walked with him no more. All over this thing, they didn't understand. Because when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they could never make it out of the flesh world. They couldn't see anything but flesh. And to them, it was just gross and grotesque. And what does he mean by this? And how can he even understand this? I'm done with this guy. No, thanks. I'm out of here. And they walked away. And that's when Jesus said in verse 63, it's the spirit who quickens or the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. The words are spirit. In other words, you're not going to understand what he's saying because his words are spirit and you're thinking flesh the whole time. These are two totally different worlds. These are two totally different languages. And the words of the spirit make no sense to the mind of the flesh. Have you noticed that yet? That's why the scripture talks to us about how God's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why? Because it's spiritual stuff, man. And as long as you're stuck over here in the flesh, trying to understand it according to the flesh, it will never make sense to you. It'll look like nothing but foolishness to you. And you will do what these people did. Turn your back and walk away. Why? Because the spirit makes no sense to the flesh. But Jesus is inviting us into fellowship with him. But you're going to have to be in the same place he is. You're going to have to speak that language. You're going to have to be in the spirit. The spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus, where do we go to get this abundant life? You go to his word. Well, not just his word. What else did he add to this? His spirit. Out of the spirit comes this life more abundantly. The flesh can't produce it. The flesh profits how much? Tell me again. Nothing. The flesh can't do it. The life that you and I are called to live is over here in the spirit. And this is what makes us so different than the rest of this world. Look at this with me. Um, thank you, Lord. Second Corinthians chapter four. We may have this on the screen for you, but listen to this. Paul writing this church said, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man, somebody say outward man. Outward man. What's he doing? 
he's perishing. Paul says, we don't lose heart, even though, <laughs> even though the outward man is perishing. Man, that alone right there is enough to totally depress a lot of people <laughs> because they look in the mirror and all you can see is the outward man in the mirror. And outward man doesn't look like outward man used to look like. And you remember what outward man looked like in his 20s, in her 30s. And you're looking at it now going, where did that guy go? And that's enough to totally depress people. That's enough to just make people so upset. And that's why it is a multi, multi, billion dollar industry just working on outward man. Outward man. Sounds like a superhero, doesn't it? Outward man. <laughs> People are working on outward man all the time. They're working outward man out. They're running outward man to the bone. They're starving outward man because outward man got a little bigger than outward man used to be. And so they're working on outward man and everything's about this guy they can see. And they nip in this and tuck in that. And oh my goodness, this this industry of fixing the outward man. I'm not saying there's something necessarily wrong with it. Work out if you want to, right? I mean, feed yourself good or whatever. Do it, don't, I don't care. But know this, know this, it's perishing. Like, as we speak, right now, it's on its way out. See, I'm saying this and you're starting to go, okay, please stop, this is, this is depressing. It shouldn't be, it's not supposed to be, but it will be if you live totally and completely only aware of outward man. But Paul said, we don't lose heart. I ain't depressed over this. I know, I know there's more wrinkles than there used to be. There's some gray. I know I get it, but it's not enough to depress me. Well, what's the secret there? Because I am living aware of not just outward man, but who else is there, huh? Inward man. It's not just outward man, it's inward man. And notice what's going on with inward man. He's being renewed day by day. Folks, this is what people have been searching for, for centuries looking for that fountain of youth, huh? I mean, searching the world over in the belief that there's gotta be something that can stop outward man from perishing. And it's out there, but it doesn't do what you want it to do, what you think it's gonna do. There is a renewing, there is a re-energizing, but it doesn't happen to this outward man. It's from the inward man. This man, the spirit of man and the spirit in man is renewed day by day by day. You know what that is? That's life and then more life and then more life. And you're not running out of life. Everybody else out there, they're running out of life. They're spending a little bit every day, every day, every day. And every day they spend some, they don't get that back. But if you will live, not just aware of outward man, but if you will live out of the consciousness and the reality of who I really am, 
Who I am is not this temple. It's not this tent. It's not this body of flesh. Who I am is the spirit that's alive on the inside of me. That's who I am. And when you live with that awareness, let this thing do what it's going to do. I got something going on in me that's got more life flowing to it every single day. And it may be growing, but it ain't getting older. It's being renewed and re-energized and re-strengthened. But there are so many people, sad to say, the majority of this world lives completely ignorant and totally unaware that there's even a, a realm of the spirit, that the spirit's a real thing, or that they even are a spirit. They think all they are is this body, and that is depressing. That is enough to lose heart over. But joy comes when you realize this body's not who I am. Who I am is the spirit that's in me. And what that spirit in me is doing is feeding life. There's more and more and more and more life available to me. Life more abundantly. Where do I go to get it, Jesus? The spirit. The spirit has it. He said the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Man, we're going to come back to this someday. There's so much in this right here. We do not look, he said, at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's calling us over here into this realm of the spirit because that's where our life is. But as long as you are confined to seeing only through the eyes of the flesh, it'll be nothing but just what Jesus experienced, total miscommunication between you and him. The things of God will make no sense to you. The word of God will make no sense to you. But if you learn that you are a spirit and you've got the spirit, the spirit of God himself alive and well in you, then this word can come alive to you. Why? Because you've got the author of it living in you. And if there's something you don't understand, you can go to the spirit and say, what do you mean by that? What were you saying when you said this? Help me see that. Help me understand it. But if you're just looking through the flesh, how much profit is it going to be to you? None. None. John chapter four. Let's just take a couple of minutes and look at this. This is the account that we've come to know and call the, the woman at the well. And you're probably familiar with some of this. But Jesus was on a journey. Uh, he was... Going to Galilee, he needed to go through Samaria. It says in verse five, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that J Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse six, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then verse nine, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
This is a good question. There was a lot of bad blood between these two groups. There were some very strong racial divides between them. And they didn't fellowship with each other, much less drink out of the same cup. And there was a real devaluing of women in this time. Women, listen to me. You ought to be so grateful for Jesus. You want to know what he did? He put a worth on you that was not there before him. And he put a value on your life and he esteemed you. He's the one that brought you up. So all these movements that, that fight for equality and fight for justice, and you look at it and go, hey guys, Jesus did that like a long time ago. But if you don't acknowledge that, it will be a fight. It will be a fight. But Jesus put value on every man, every woman, every human. When he paid that high price, that price put a value on you. Amen? Ladies, amen? amen. Valuable in the sight of God. Valuable in the sight. And valuable in the sight of your brothers. Valuable. Thank you, Lord. She said, why are you talking to me? She said, you talking to me? And Jesus answered her. Listen to these words. He said to her, if you knew. Somebody say those words with me. If you knew, what's he saying? You don't know. You don't know. You don't know what? You don't know. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said, if you knew, when you look up the word knew, it means basically to see. He said, if you could see, and, and we would agree with that, right? If you know something, you see it. You, 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 yeah, I see how that works, or I understand. I can see that. And that's what he was saying to her. If you could actually see. Now, she could see him, right? But she couldn't see him. Yeah. Big difference. He said, if you knew. If you could see the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. We're talking about life more abundantly. He would have given you living water. Now, John chapter seven, don't turn there, but it says this in verse 37, Jesus said it on the, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But listen, he spoke concerning the spirit. He's talking about the spirit. He spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when he's talking to this woman about giving her something to drink, if you knew, if you could see who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. What's the living water he's talking about? Spirit. My words are spirit. And you can see that she doesn't get it. Why? She's looking through the flesh. The woman said to him, sir, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Is he talking, let me ask you, is he talking about water that comes out of this well? No. no, but that's all she can see. Why? Looking through the flesh. 
That's all that makes sense to her. You got nothing to draw with. Where are you going to get this water? And then she adds to it. It says in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? What's the answer to that? Yeah, as a matter of fact. Thanks for asking. Yes, actually he is. And Jesus in verse 13 said to her, whoever drinks of this water, this water, this flesh stuff, this natural stuff is gonna thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, what is that water? The Spirit. The Spirit. Out of your belly is going to flow this water. The Spirit. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life, that abundant life. Where do you go to get it? People search the whole world. Ponce de Leon, right? Where did he come from? Spain. Showed up in Florida. What's he looking for? The fountain of youth. I think there's a lot of people in Florida still looking for the fountain of youth. (laughs) Searching for it. It's got to be here somewhere. It's got to be here somewhere. And listen, you can search the world over, but if you fail to look inside, you'll never find it. Never find it. He said, it'll become in you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. What's going on here? Where is the breakdown in the communication? He's talking spirit. She's hearing flesh, right? I wonder if this is still going on. I wonder if God's still talking to people. And they don't hear it or they don't understand it or it makes no sense to them and they don't put any value on it. And I wonder if it's the same problem. Uh It is. is. He's talking spirit. We're here in flesh. It won't work. (laughs) Jesus finally, after taking several approaches with her to try to draw her by faith into what he's talking about, he says, let's take a different approach of this. Go call your husband and come here. And she said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right. You've well said, I have no husband. You've had five. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. I like her response. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) Do you? You picked up on that. But notice what happens. I perceive you're a prophet. And instead of saying anything about what Jesus just acknowledged by, which was a gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a word of knowledge working in him. Same gift that's available to us working in him. But instead of acknowledging or responding to that, I perceive, notice how religious this sounds. I perceive you're a prophet. And she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Notice what happened. By the Spirit, light comes on and all of a sudden some things that she thought were in secret came out in the open. And what's the, that initial, that, that first response? Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about worship. Let's not talk about my scandalous, adulterous past. Let's talk about worship. I know when um, Sarah and I first started dating, 
we had just met. And a few weeks later, you know, I've told you that she lived in Branson, Missouri. Just a few weeks after that, we got her on the airplane and got her down to Fort Worth to come visit me. And I was so excited. I got to Dallas Fort Worth airport that morning. It was an early flight coming in. And uh, the little airline, we used to fly back and forth to each other, just a small little dinky airline. And when I, I got to the baggage claim area where she was going to be coming out, of course, I'm really early, just excited. And I got, <laughs> I got flowers in hand and I'm ready and nobody's in there. It's early. It was just me and this other guy. And he kind of caught my eye, kind of just meandering around, cowboy hat on. And I guess he saw the flowers or something and he came over and he started talking to me. Um, I've, I've never really been the guy that was like, you know, let's get into deep conversation with total strangers. Uh, some people are like that. I actually kind of admire it. I think it's great. I, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he comes over and he starts talking. He's asking about the flowers. I'm telling I'm picking up my girlfriend and so on. And he starts giving me the synopsis of the last 48 hours of his life which started in Las Vegas. And he starts talking about how drunk he got in Vegas. And he's gambling all night and I'm partying all night. And then he's talking and talking and talking. At one point I'm thinking to myself, brother, do you know any other words? Because you keep using that one a lot. <laughs> and it's just foul mouth and bleepy this and blanky that. And he's talking and talking and talking about how he got up and went to the airport, just drunk and hung over and got on the airplane. And I told that stewardess, I want a drink. And she wouldn't give it to me. So I fired her. Like you, <clears throat> you did what? I fired her. I, I own stock in this airline. You work for me. You're fired. And then the pilot came out and they started to drag me off the plane. I said, you're fired too. Get the, get the picture. It's cowboy. We're reading about the woman at the well. Let me tell you about the cowboy at the airport because this guy is a character. And I fired all of them and they put me in airport jail and I had to sit there and wait, I missed my flight. I fired every single one. I said, you can't do this to me. I own stock in this airline. And I'm just going, Lord, do I have a sign that says, please tell me everything? And he's going on and on and on about this and how drunk he was and how he got kicked off the flight and so on. And it finally comes around to, well, he starts telling me, you, you know what I do for a living? I drive a truck, man. I drive a truck all over the nation. You want to know how much money I make? I was like, sure. hundred K. Then I make a hundred grand a year driving that truck. I'm like, all right, brother. That's great. And then it finally comes around to what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm in ministry. And, uh, I was youth pastoring at the time. I worked for my parents, pastor a church and I'm a youth pastor. And this cowboy at the airport, who was just cussing up a storm and firing everybody and drunk. You know what he said when I said, I'm in ministry? He goes, I knew you was a good man. I could tell. You know, I just think God wants us to, to love each other and just be kind to each other. But I was like, yeah, amen, man. What? I don't know. But it amazed me how quickly we shifted, right? From 
blankety blank this and drunk in Vegas to I'm going to tell you what God wants for all men. I know the will of God. But isn't that what happens? One little, little light comes on and things get seen and people have this, this thing in them that wants to just go religious on you. And this woman starts talking about worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five husbands. We'll talk about that later. Let's talk about worship. And she wants to start this theological debate with this man she perceives as a prophet. And she wants to argue with him. You Jews, that sounds nice, doesn't it? You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. We say it's on this mountain. What do you say? And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, neither uh, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship, salvations of the Jews, but the, listen to this, verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father. How? Spirit. How do we worship the Father? In spirit. Well, if you can worship in spirit, what else can you do? You can worship in flesh. Flesh. And that's what this woman's trying to argue with him about. Where? Location. Location, location, location. Where do we worship? You say it's there. We say it's here. And Jesus says, the hour's coming. You know what? As a matter of fact, it's right here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father, not based on a location, not based on anything in the flesh, in the spirit, in the spirit and in truth. For, he said, the Father is looking for it. The Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him, how? In spirit. In spirit. You know, your worship is supposed to do something. It's supposed to produce something. Worship has the ability, man, to, to just break you through, to tear down walls. Worship, true worship and true praise has the ability to stop and still your enemy. But Jesus told a group of people, you worship in vain. What's vain mean? Maybe you could say it like this. It profits nothing. It's not producing anything. Vain means no power in it. You worship me, but you worship in vain, he said. He said, because your heart is far from me. Oh yeah, you draw near with your lips, but your heart's somewhere else. That's flesh. That's a big indicator of the flesh. You're going through all the right motions out here, saying all the right things out here. I perceive you're a prophet. Where are we supposed to worship? I know you a good man. Huh? I just think God wants this and God wants that. It sounds like good stuff. But you know from what Jesus revealed, you know from what this guy told me of his story, there's a lot of flesh at work in these lives. And he said, no, it's not about location, not about any outward thing. 
It's about the Spirit. And if you want to worship Him and you want your worship to do what your worship is supposed to do, you better get out of this flesh and into the Spirit. Because that's the only place life is found. You worship in vain if your lips are here and your heart's over there. Did you know you can actually measure how much of a hypocrite you are or how much of a hypocrite I am? All you have to do is measure the distance between your heart and your mouth. I'm not talking about this physical blood pump. I'm talking about where your mouth is and if your heart's way somewhere else. That's hypocrisy. And it's flesh. And it's going through a bunch of motions that are producing nothing. Babe, would you come? Who's the father looking for? People who will worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Which says to me that you and I could, if we're not watchful over it, could find ourselves worshiping in flesh and in untruth or fakeness, falseness, what's not true. Sarah, I wanted you to come. I didn't tell her she was going to do this. Get that microphone, Lauren. For years, decades, honestly, the Lord has put some things in Sarah's heart regarding what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. And just in the last few weeks, we have enjoyed such a marvelous, wonderful atmosphere in this church, in the worship. And that's when I've been finding myself just boohooing over there. (laughs) But when it's real like that, you know you're tapping on some things. You're, You're tapping into some things. But we can go deeper. And one of the things that we are pressing for in this church is to cultivate a place that worships in spirit and in truth. And I thought it'd be good before we wrap this up today. I had hoped to give you more time than I did. My bad. Just to talk to us about what that means to worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Well, you know, Jeremy and I have been in ministry for a really long time. And it's an interesting thing. When we first started, we both knew that there was a call on our lives to minister the word of God. But we knew alongside that ministry, there was a strong call that the worship and the word would work together. And you don't always know what all that means in the beginning. You get us, your your eyes come open a little bit to it, but over the years, it starts to unfold when you start to get a sense about your call. And and, um, you know, so it's taken a lot of study and a lot of prep to find out, Lord, what does that mean exactly? We are a word and worship ministry. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that we're talking about this today because I look at the heart of this church and the call on this church. You know, every church in the world is called to do something specific for the kingdom. And it's not supposed to look just like anybody else. There may be some similarities, but Legacy Church has a specific call. We are a local church with a global call. And you've heard us say that over and over. But it's because this word and the worship that comes out of this place is called to affect the nations of the earth. 
it's an awesome thing. You know, we're just in the beginning. We're just starting. We're developing our team. But for years and years and years, we've studied that passage in John chapter 4. I'm actually laughing over there because everything Jeremy's teaching today came out of the, I think, the beginning of our, when we first started ministering, you know, years and years and years and years and years ago, which isn't that cool that God is giving it to us again at the start of the church. He's developing a firm foundation under our feet. But as I pray and I study that John chapter 4, I love the translation out of the weast, and I don't even know if we could get that, but let me just explain to what, it, what it means there. When Jesus says, those who worship the Father would worship him in spirit and in truth, it actually says, in the sphere of the spirit and in the sphere of truth. What does that mean? That, that you have the ability to worship God within a certain realm. It's a boundary. There's boundary lines in the realm of what real worship is. And a lot of people in a lot of places, and even in our generation today, worship has become something that is not actually always in the realm of the spirit, in spirit. You can just picture it as a sphere or, you know, a circle like, the, like how the, the globe is, how, how the earth is. We are, it is, it is not just a circle, but it is, it, there's, there's depth to it. There's a deepness to it. And it's supposed to go, you know, you think about the center of the earth. And my little justice was just telling me, he's like, Mommy, let me tell you about the center of the earth. He's telling me all about this this week. He is so smart and such a little brain. But he was telling me all about it. He's like, you know, the core of the earth is hotter than the sun. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I forget what it's like to be in fifth grade. Anyway, <laughs> the core of the earth is like as hot as the sun. I mean, that is the, the fire. It's, it's like fire in there, and it's, it's deep, and it's these realms that we can barely imagine with our natural mind. But worship can be that deep and that in the spirit it's nothing fleshly it's not what you do out here it's not uh, you know what you look like on the outside it's not just dancing around the room you know if you have a lot of people that distract you during church uh, oftentimes it's more flesh than spirit because spirit is deep it goes down deep on the inside and it produces a life that can just go to the deepest places, the deepest part of the heart. It is an amazing thing to actually worship God in the deepest parts of you. And, um, and I think it's amazing. Like, think about in spirit, in the realm of the spirit, in the sphere of the spirit, and in the sphere of truth. That's another place where real worship happens. It's not just something we make up or something that we feel or something we express or something that's natural out here. It's in the sphere of truth. It's according to the word of God. It's according to uh, the life comes out of the word. The real worship, reverential worship of God comes out of the life of the word. And you know, so for a long time, We've had it in our hearts that we would, you know, a lot of people thought we were crazy because we would take scriptures and write songs. Well, who would have thought that that would have so much power and that would have so much life in it? The actual, that I could write a song that 
that came straight out of scripture that was more powerful than any kind of creative thing that I could come up with on my own. The word, I was telling Jesse this on the way to church this morning because we were going over their scripture for kids class. Now, anybody going over their scripture verse for, um, with their kids every week because they're getting prizes, you know, and it's like this big deal. I got to go to the treasure chest and get a prize every time I get my scripture right. Well, on the way to church today, we are, they're telling me their scripture and they're saying it. Um, I delight in your word as one who has found a great treasure. That's their scripture for the week. Mm, so good. Anyway, so I told Jesse, I said, you know, Jesse. So then in the backseat, I hear her singing. She's like, I delight in your word as the one who's found a great treasure. And it was like really cheesy and funny and cute. And she's like singing it over and over. And I think she's trying to get herself to remember it by singing it, which is another great thing uh, that God gives us. But when she's singing it, I'm laughing at her and playing around with her. And I told her, I said, you know, Jesse, again, this is my window of opportunity to minister to her. Like we talked about windows of opportunity to give, but man, God gives us windows to speak into our family all the time. And if you don't seize the opportunity in the moment, you may not get it again for a while. Anyway, so I stopped. And in that moment, I said, Jesse, you know, when I started writing songs, I started to realize that the most powerful thing that I could put in a song was the exact word of God. And I realized the power and the life that was in the word. Who wants me to get up here every week and just sing a song that has no word in it, no spirit in it, and no life? Nobody needs that. What people need is they need life. What they need is they need joy. What they need is they need what comes out of this word going deep in the heart. That is why real worship is in the sphere of the spirit and it's in the sphere of truth or the word of God. And so I just believe that this church is a word church and this church is a spirit church. And you know, I was thinking about this while we were talking, to, talking on the front row. I thought, you know what it means? Have you ever thought about, you know, we talk about the charismatic movement, the charismatic church, and what that really is. It comes from the word charisma. You know what that word means? It means grace, kindness, and it means life. And you think about what a real charismatic church is. That's what we are, by the way. It is a spirit life church. It is a church that is full of the spirit of God who is able to move and he's able to flow and he's able to go where he wants to go and do what he wants to do. And there's no hindrance. There's nothing holding him back. There's nothing from keeping him from healing everybody that needs to be healed, for stirring people up, for enlightening people with the plan of God, for showing, for opening the eyes of our understanding. There's nothing stopping him from moving how he wants to move. This is a charismatic church. This is a church that's full of the grace of God. It's full of the kindness of God. And it is full of the life of God. And we are a church with life more abundant in this place. And I'm just excited. You know, also, you know that word 
charismatic, if you think about who, what a charismatic person is, aren't they a person that's just eh, kind of charming? They're kind of, they're attractive. They're charming. You know what else they are? There are, they are a person who has influence. And I believe that God wants to give us as a church and as a people, as families and as a family, great influence. And that's why he has given us his spirit and he's given us his life. And if we yield over to it and we'll give ourselves to it, we can be the biggest influence to this town, to this city, to this state, to this nation and to all the nations of the world. He's giving us influence. Glory to God. And I'm just so thankful we get to be a part of a life-giving, spirit-giving place. And you know, our worship in this church is going to reach the nations of the earth. And it's going to influence the nations of the earth. So, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I uh, would ask you to take a close look at what you're listening to on a regular basis. And there's a lot of options and a lot of really wonderful things out there. A lot of great things. The Lord's done so much through worship in the church in the last several decades uh, and a lot of good things to feed on, but you still have to pay attention to what you're listening to. And for us, we've come to the place, we won't sing something that we wouldn't say. I'm not going to sing something that I wouldn't preach. I'm not going to sing something that if I can't find it in the word, it may have a great melody. It may have a great music. And, and I'm a music guy. She's, she's a music girl. We like that. But you got to watch out because the soul and the spirit are so closely connected. And you got to ask yourself, is this doing something for me in my soul? Or is there life coming out of the spirit of this? And it's just worth it. It's worth it to just take stock of what you're feeding on, what you're listening to, and you will get so much more out of our times of corporate worship together if you will evaluate through the week what you're listening to. And if you can't, if there's something rubbing you funny about it, just turn it off. Find something else that'll preach to you. Find something that's got the word in it. Find something that's not just the word, but it's got the, 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 the authentic, the, 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 uh, authentic nature on the inside. And it's not just a, it's not flesh. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not flesh. And one of the big ways, you know, you said it, it's exactly right. One of the ways you know that something's flesh is if it's distracting. If it takes other people's eyes off of God and puts them on you, or if I'm putting eyes on me, that right there is when I know I'm in the flesh. And more than anything in this church, we want to get it right doctrinally. Yes, we do. Doctrine's important. But we're not going to get that 100%. Nobody you know is 100% on that. What we can get right every time is the spirit of it. We can get it right every time by the grace of God and by his help. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just worship you. We worship you. Just lift up your hands. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. 
Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.